Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode two of Hey Man, It's Okay. I just want to do a brief introduction because this is another conversation where Ryan and I actually just got into conversation without really doing um, an official intro. So here I am to do it. Uh, I just want to let you guys all know this was the first episode that Ryan and I ever recorded together. So I'm very excited for you to see it. I'm excited for you to hear the conversation and I uh, hope you enjoy. Thanks. talking about why you wanted to do this. I really wanted to start something during COVID. It was right around when I got licensed. So I felt like I had credence and validity to you know what I was saying and with somebody who wasn't all that supportive of the idea. And, you know, and I think just my own procrastination or I mean, or I think we're all built on syndrome, syndrome, right? Yeah, right. yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, uh, like, maybe I don't really have something to say. Maybe my opinion doesn't matter. And it's already out there, right? Right. Totally. Totally. Even though I had a, I had a lot of people, you know, I was running these groups and everybody in those groups were like, yeah, you got to do something. I was doing a lot of really good work you know, at the treatment center. Well, you know, when something feels good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you get the feedback immediately. I was getting a lot of good feedback. I have wanted to do something on top of my private practice and especially sort of in the podcast or YouTube space and even more so uh, geared towards men. And, you know, and I was telling you earlier, like my private practice is pretty much all men. Yeah. I probably have right now 40 active male clients and maybe five or six female clients. And, uh, don't get me wrong. I love working with the female clients and the couples that I get to work with too. But, but yeah, you know, most of my day is centered around really deep, meaningful conversations, uh, with men trying to figure their place out in the world, be better, work through depression, you know, show up better in relationships, uh, all that. So I'm excited that it's funny because six months ago or so, I love meditation. I'm huge on meditation. So okay. I, I was in a deep meditation, really putting it out there that I really wanted you know, some opportunity to open up to do some sort of podcast YouTube thing. And... I had a friend kind of right out of nowhere ask me to do something with him and we were sort of aligned. I, I don't think we see things clinically in the same way. He was also a therapist. And at some point, you know, we were, we were kind of starting to get the ball rolling and like two or three weeks in, he realized he had too much on his plate and that, you know, he wasn't going to be able to make it happen. And then I think someone else kind of approached me to do something. I don't know what happened there. And then Josh came kind of out of nowhere. Josh and I met, you know, about a year and a half ago uh, at a psychedelic assisted therapy. Mutual friend training, of ours. Right. Right. Which is the reason, you know, we're, we're here. And, and unfortunately um, Josh and I, I felt like had something good going, but unfortunately, you know, he had kind of too much on his plate. Maybe that's the, the best way to put it. Um, and then Josh pointed me in the direction of Sky. And, and we both sound like we have kind of the same vision of wanting to you know, help guys out there. What I initially wanted to call my podcast, if I was just going to do it on my own and I got like the, the username for it was like, be a man and, okay. and sort of, you know, sort of tongue in cheek, maybe clickbaity of just like <laughs> be a man. Yeah. But what yeah. does that mean? You know, you're a tough masculine man or does that mean, you know, and so it was kind of really to explore what does it mean to be a man when we hear that cliche. I started looking into a podcast um, probably early 2022. Um, I had a friend who worked at a local radio station. She said, Hey, does anybody have any good podcasts to listen to? I'm thinking about starting my own podcast. Company's looking for podcasts to promote. And I started thinking, I was like, you know, I have a lot to say and I have a lot of valuable resources that I've learned um, in my mental health journey. So maybe I should start a podcast. So I like reached out to her and I was talking to her to her for a little bit. And she said, you know, Sky, she said, I think starting a men's mental health podcast would be really beneficial. And I was like, oh man, that's a great idea. 
So I started thinking about it and started brainstorming it for a little while. And, you know, I started listening to podcasts. Um, I wasn't really a huge podcast person. There was a few I had listened to, like there was one I listened to about, it was a Dungeons and Dragons story. It was uh, a dad and his three sons playing and it was awesome. I loved it. And that was really the first podcast I got into. And so talking about starting a podcast was like pretty intriguing to me. I mean, it took me a couple months, and but I found out that the podcast that I liked listening to was were more than one person recording because I really liked the conversation aspect of it. It helps me follow along a little bit better, but I couldn't find a co-host. I mean, I asked several friends and I even, I actually approached Josh as well. And he had too much going on on his plate at the time. I had, um, you know, a friend who was like going through some stuff and he was like, I'm, you know, I got to work on my mental health journey. And I was like, cool. Hey, you want to be on my podcast? And he said, yes. So Mike and I started, Hey man, it's okay. It took me, I mean, I went through iterations with like logos. I went through iterations with you know, what I wanted to call it. And eventually we landed on, hey man, it's okay. And, you know, I wanted to put the semicolon in there to represent, you know, my story is not over. And yeah, I mean, we kind of just came up with it and started recording and and then we had last season and it was great. He had to move on to his own things, which is, and it, you kind of came at the perfect time to join in on this with me. And I'm so excited to see where this goes and, you know, how our chemistry builds. Um, and, you know, unfortunately we haven't met in person, which is really a travesty. What were some of your guys' episodes uh, kind of based around? We did be a man culture. Like oh, yeah? <laughs> we were talking about manly men and how, you know, they're, they are expected to be tough and not show their feelings and, you know, why that shouldn't be the case and how to end the stigma. We did an episode on depression and talking about it and defining it. We did some, we talked about anxiety. One of the last episodes we recorded was a was a podcast about the Enneagram, which was super awesome. We did it with a host of a podcast called um, The Art of Growth, and his name is Jim Zartman, and we had a great time recording with him. But I'm so excited to you know jump into season two and start this whole journey in the new format. The listeners have heard my story. Maybe I should tell my story again since we're starting on video now and we're starting on a new platform. So I was thinking maybe today we could just tell our stories and like what got us into the mental health field. Yeah, I'm all about it. Yeah, it'll, it'll give us a good introduction uh, for us both. Yeah. Yeah, I absolutely agree. <laughs> if you guys have listened to the podcast already, um, you've heard my story. But, you know, growing up, I had lost several close people I knew to suicide. He was kind of like another uncle and kind of hung out with us. We looked up to him a lot. And like I said, I was like 12 or 13 when he died. And then in 2013, I lost my best friend from junior high. I lost him to suicide. Um, I have a another cousin who died in 2015, 2014. The situation around that was a little bit bizarre. You know, I'm not sure if it was suicide. I'm not sure if it was, you know, accidental overdose on something. I, I don't really know what was that. What I was told is his brain just gave up. But then my big one was in 2019. Um, in 2019, my cousin Sean died by suicide. He was like a big brother to me. He lived with my family from the time I was probably around 10 or 11 to the time I was like 13 or 14. So he had a huge influence on me when it came to music, when it came to how I like to dress. I mean, he had a huge influence on me. And I'm the oldest of six kids. And so to have someone to look up to like an older brother was really meant a lot and it was really important to me. Well, 2019, I get the call that Sean jumped off a bridge. It tore me apart. It sent me into this crazy like downward spiral where I was waking up with nightmares. I was waking up screaming, just like grabbing the sheets, just sweating. So I wasn't sleeping for several weeks, I think. And finally, my wife came to me and she said, Skylar, I, I really love you but I can't do this for a long period of time. So your options are you need to go to therapy, which I've suggested, or I need to not live here anymore with you. And I loved her enough. And I was like, all right, I'll go to therapy. Um, through my work, I had this program called Making Life Easier. And they matched me up with a therapist. And then that office actually was like, hey, I know they matched you up with this therapist, but we're going to put you with this other one who specializes in grief counseling. I was like, okay, that's fine. You know, I didn't really have any expectations or any really like qualifications for who I wanted to talk to. I just needed to talk to somebody. And oh, thank God they switched me. She, my first therapist was a female. Um, 
And it was great because I actually open up with females a lot easier than I do with males. Yeah, me too. <laughs> um, but man, from the first visit, she actually taught me mindfulness. Um, my wife had tried hammering it in, in my head for years. You know, be mindful, be, be more observant, be more um, intentional was what she would say. Um, and she just, it would drive all, her nuts. All good advice. All good advice. Right. <laughs> right. All good advice. But I just but didn't know. It, it doesn't mean anything until. Yeah. I had no idea how to like get it through my I, thick skull. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my therapist drew a picture for me and I'll have to send you the picture and I'll put the picture somewhere where the listeners can and viewers can see it. And she basically like drew a hurricane and she said, you know, this is, you know, the Skylar that you want to be. This is a Skylar that you don't want to be. So let's list some traits. You know, what kind of things do you admire? What kinds of things do you not admire? Well, here you are. You're in the eye of the hurricane when, when, you know, you're dealing with stuff and what you need to do is you need to stop and put yourself there and take a moment and say, okay, how I react to this is either going to be towards who I want to be or towards who I don't want to be. And it changed pretty drastically, pretty quick. And I am forever thankful to her and she will always be part of my story because it sent me down this path of exploration and this path of opening up my mind and being better mentally and, you know, spreading, you know, because I was finding so much joy in what I was learning that I just wanted to share with it and talk with people. And I slowly started seeing the people around me change and grow, which was really incredible. I mean, it led me towards, I did a walk with the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Um, I was supposed to be their walk chair in 2020, but then, you know, COVID hit and that kind of got taken from me, but that matched me up with some other organizations. And now I am co-organizer of a suicide awareness event in a city here called Lake Stevens. Um, last year, we raised $30,000 and we're in the middle of planning that again this year. I try to get involved wherever I can to try to spread the message of mental health, You know, trying to show people that there's light that can come out of the darkness and that it's okay to not be okay. And that's kind of my main message. And I mean, that's a real, real brief overview of my story. Just to kind of recap, so you just like you, what were the four big losses? There were four big losses. Like, the, what was the, the first one at 13? Yeah. So the first one was like, was like 13. And then in 2013, I'm, I'm 34 now. In 2013 was my junior high best friend. In 2015 was a cousin. And then 2019 was my other cousin. My other cousin. Yeah. Wow. And unfortunately, it's not the last time I've been, you know, near suicide. My wife just had a loss from a childhood friend who died by suicide. And, you know, it's, it's so sad. And I feel like it's happening more and more with people. You know, you hear it in the media. Now we have all these famous people who have died by suicide and it's just so sad. And it's something that's near and dear to my heart to talk about and try to help normalize talking about our feelings. Yeah. Yeah. You, you know, I think the one the Anthony Bourdain really probably shook probably the world, maybe in a lot of ways of, and I think why it affected people so much was that you had somebody who seemingly had the perfect life, like the most ideal. Like he gets to just travel around. Travel and eat. It makes probably a ton of money and uh, yeah, and just eats great food. Everybody loves him. And and yet underneath it all, you know, he was suffering. And um, you know, and he was also somebody, you know, I I know he had, you know, some some addictions, I believe, but you know, it seemed like, you know, he was like doing jujitsu, like he was exercising, he was getting out there. Yeah. And yeah. And, and, and so I, I guess I just bring that up. Like, you just don't know what people are going through, even if they seem to have it all, you know? And so do you mind talking a little bit about kind of what the struggle was like for you? You know, what that dark period and, and how long, you know, when was it when you first saw it? Okay. So Sean died June 26th, which okay. is, which is coming up pretty soon. Mm -hmm. And my first therapy session was August 13th. So there was, I mean, there was about oh, a so month. So it was a few months. Yeah. Or yeah, a month, there, yeah. Uh, uh, wait. Yeah. Cause I had to go through all of July and then it was the middle of August. So yeah, it was like a month and a half um, that, that this, you know, really bad time was happening. And it was, it was, I mean, I got a text from his brother and he said, Hey, I've got some bad news. I was not prepared for what I was about to read, you know, I was working through this um, class so that I could have this special designation at my job. 
and I was working through it and it was a class I had to take and there were some tests I had to take. And I was, I was on probation at work because you're on probation for a year unless you complete this certain certification. And so I was working really hard to complete it because my boss told me as soon as I completed it, I was off probation and I was finally like a full-time employee. So I was like, cool. I finished that test and got my certification June 25th. And the next day was probably, I mean, it was one of the worst days of my whole life. Um, I was sitting at work and I got a text from his brother that said, I, you know, I've got bad news. And I was like, oh, are you moving away? Because he actually just married somebody who was from Utah and was living in Washington state. And I thought maybe he was moving because he had talked about it a couple of times. And he said, Sean's gone. I was like, what do you mean? And he told me that he jumped off a bridge and I knew immediately what happened. And, uh, you know, I called my wife. I told her what happened. She was with some friends. She was, she didn't know what to say or what to do. Um, I, I was probably like 45 minutes South of my house at my place of work. And I went and told my boss, I was like, I have to go. Like, here's what happened. I need to go, you know, all through, uh, you know, a wall of tears because I was just, I didn't know what to do. This was the first time that it affected me this bad. My father-in-law called me because I was going to drive home and he said, stay where you're at. I'm going to come get you. And I said, it's okay. I can keep myself composed enough to get home. So I got home and I just broke down and cried. And I went up to um, Sean's house to go see his wife and his kids. And when I got there, you know, there was all kinds of family and friends there. It was just hugging and crying and really just like a lot of surprise um, from everybody because Sean was somebody who was, he was really encouraging. He was an encouraging person. He seemed like he always knew what to say. He knew what you needed to hear. And he was a super loving person. And, you know, we were all just so shocked. But then I kept having these really bad nightmares about him jumping off this bridge. Like, you know, he climbed up on the ledge, decided he didn't want to do it and then slipped. And so I just pictured him falling, reaching up like he made a mistake over and over again. Um, and I just saw it in my head. And it was, I mean, it made made it really hard to sleep. And, you know, lack of sleep is not good for you, um, for your mental health at all. Yeah, no, um, worse things. And I know that was what's, what was happening with him. He wasn't sleeping um, from what I had heard. I heard he was just having a tough time with life. And I knew that that's not where I wanted to be. When my wife, Rebecca, told me, you know, you've got to go to therapy. I was like, okay, because I don't want to end up in the same place. And I know I can't end up in the same place, but, um, you know, between the time I went to therapy and the time that, you know, and the time Sean died, you know, I just kind of, I was really depressed. I wasn't doing much for myself health wise. I wasn't doing much for myself to like get out and go see friends. I was just kind of like laying in bed and going through the motions of life. And when I went to therapy, it was a huge wake up call that things need to be different. And that's what's gotten me here today is trying to knowing that I can be better and that I can grow each day has been huge. And, and so how long ago was that again? That was, that was 2019. Yeah. So yeah. September, uh, September of 20 or August of 2019. Yeah. Yeah, That's almost four years now. Yeah. Yeah. And I have, I got a tattoo on my chest for Sean. That's a constant reminder to me, just to me that he's always with me and that, you know, his lessons that he taught me are, will always be there. That's what I can remember. You know, I think there's a lot of stuff that my brain blocks out just because it's trauma and it doesn't like to be there. But, um, you know, when, when that grief hits me, I allow myself to be in that grief. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard the song, um, yellow lead better by Pearl jam. Maybe my favorite song of all time. <laughs> that song, that song was introduced yeah. to me by Sean uh-huh. and it makes me cry and think about him every time. And so whenever that song comes on, I make everybody be quiet around me so that I can sit in that moment and allow myself to feel the feelings that come through. Um, and there's, I mean, there's things like that. Cause you know, a lot of my music tastes were from Sean. Like I love the band Weezer because of Sean. So like when they come out with new stuff, it makes me cry because you know, it's sad that I can't share it with him. And when the Weezer blue album comes on, you know, my name is Jonas comes on. I just, it, it hits my grief button and I allow myself to sit in those feelings and to feel those feelings instead of pushing them down. 
because pushing them down does no good for anybody, especially for, you know, your own mental health. So that's, that's kind of where I'm at these days. Um, as far as, you know, my mental health goes, I don't, I don't, I'm not currently in therapy, but, um, actually that's not necessarily true. I actually just started this, this cool, um, therapy with a friend who learned EFT therapy, which has been really, really fun because it helps move energy through your body and kind of recirculate your energy and make it flow better, which has been really good for me. But I'm not in regular therapy right now because there isn't really, I don't really see a, a reason for me to be actively in it, but I definitely keep in touch with my therapist if I'm feeling like I need to talk to somebody. Yeah. Yeah. I might have to push back uh, maybe a little there. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. 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 I don't know. I mean, obviously I am a therapist. I'm a licensed therapist. So I'm very biased when it comes to (laughs) uh, a therapist role in your life. And, uh, and it's, it's, it's interesting. There are so many different therapy is such a big word in a lot of ways. Like there are so many different ways to approach it, to practice it, to be a provider, clinician, uh, you know, my uncle who initially really normalized therapy for me when I was 13 years old and made it, um, yeah, just made it something like, you know, it didn't have a stigma and it was something I was fascinated by. My uncle was always, you know, probably the one person I looked to looked, looked up to uh, the absolute most. Um, and he was a like, Harvard educated, uh, psychologist and, he practiced, you know, kind of the uh, original Freudian psychoanalysis, which is, you know, like I believe I'm not, I'm not an expert in this, but, but this is how different, different types of therapy can be. And, and psychoanalysis is like three days a week, two hours each session, you know, and you are like unearthing everything from, you know, your past and really going deep into all of it, you know, and into all the different influences that we had growing up. And then there's other uh, theories or, you know, concepts of how to do therapy, which there's one called like brief therapy. And, you know, the whole idea is to like get you fixed and moving along. And, you know, I partially feel that might be because of insurances or something like that. But, um, but I, the way I approach it, you know, is that, and maybe it's just because I always have something to talk about and always have something I want to process or something that's on my chest, um, or something I think I can, you know, work on or get some growth in. And so I am, I, I almost always have uh, a therapist if I, if I can. Um, and if, if not, maybe a therapist, then, you know, maybe something like you were saying, like somebody who does like EFT, like for a while I had, you know, more of like a spiritual business coach, um, who was, who was also really helpful. But right now I have, I, I usually am not, uh, too excited about in-network therapists and maybe one day we can explore that topic because I think there's, there's a lot to that. Um, and just a lot to kind of where the therapy industry is right now with all of these, you know, talk space, um, you know, which are introducing people to therapy, but also I don't think giving you, it's also leaving a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths. And so then, you know, people walk away from therapy thinking like, well, you know, I, I just text this person every once in a while, or, you know, or they, I can see why you know, a lot of in-network or therapists that work for, you know, these big companies might phone it in, you know, you seemingly have another client probably right around the corner who's ready to fill your spots, you, you know, immediately. And so therefore, you know, you don't necessarily always have to do your best work. You can, you know, I, and I've had some of these therapists. I've, I've, I had a therapist once no, like cancel or change her schedule six times in a row. And then the last time no called, no showed on me and then said it was my fault, you know, and like, I, no, it was on the schedule. And, it, you know, and I, I, there's probably no consequences to her. And and just full disclosure, so I'm like a, a cash pay therapist. And, and therefore, you know, I, I don't have, you know, people using insurance coming around the corner every, you know, anytime I need a spot filled. Like I have to, I have to sort of earn it. And, and so every session, you know, I try to make 
possibly the best session that that person's had. And, you know, that might sound, you know, unreasonable or I don't know, just too much, but, but that's also, I love this profession so much. And, you know, I'm so blessed that I get to have just deep, meaningful conversations with people all the time. Um, so I think a lot of things that people don't understand <laughs> is that finding the right therapist is like dating and it's okay. If you don't like your first therapist, it's okay to try somebody else. And I think too many people think that, oh, well, you know, this person did an intake with me and I really owe them something and I need to stay with them. And they end up not liking it because they leave a bad taste in their mouth. But I think it's so important to vet who, like someone who you click with, who who you can talk to, who makes it easy to talk to them. I'm writing this down. I think I think we need an episode in and of itself of just of like how to find a therapist. I think that's a great idea. Because, you know, yeah, that it, that is really hard. And a lot of times when people call me, They've never had therapy before. They don't know what they're looking for. They don't know what therapy even is, you know? And so a lot of times I'm kind of educating them for the first time. I'm like, well, this is, you know, or at least on just the way I work, because like I was saying, some people, you know, the old school model was three days a week, two hours a day. I mean, that's a hell of right. a commitment. <laughs> yeah, it is. For sure. A lot of money, you know, if, uh, and, and most of that's not covered by insurance. So yeah, we've we got to do a whole episode on, on what is therapy, how to find a therapist and what to expect or what you should be looking for and, and yeah, all that. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm, I'm in. Let's do it. I don't know. Do you want to keep this whole episode centered around your story and then we, we can just do another one on mine later if you want? Yeah, or- I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm open for whatever. Seriously, like I'm just I'm I'm loving this conversation. I like where it's going. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, me too. But, oh. uh, yeah, actually, it was it was funny because. Um, you know, to prepare for this, I was going through, you know, you know, starting season two and I was going through some recordings and my wife was like, oh, what's that recording? And it just said meeting with Skylar. And I was like, what is that? I didn't know. It was um, our pre episode discussion that we had that I recorded. And oh, yeah? I, was, uh-huh. I was so thankful to have that because it let me look back and see, okay, this is the guy that I'm working with. I think this is so cool. You know, I'm so excited to, to do this with you. And, and it's, I'm, maybe it's something we'll release eventually. You know, you know how people have like, um, you know, oh, if you subscribe to us and pay this much per month, you get access to our extra content, Uh uh which is, which is, um, could be fun (laughs) Uh, to do at some point. But yeah, I mean, uh, if we're going to, if we're going to talk about, you know, my story a little bit in this one, what, you know, let's go, let's ask me questions. I'm, I'm an open book. Absolutely. Do you, do you, is it okay to dive into the Jehovah's Witness pieces or I like, I, I, cause that is so I'll, I'll dive uh, into it with you. I'll dive into it with you. And can I ask how recent it was that you left? I have been pretty much out of it since probably the beginning of end of 2020, beginning of 2021. I re- I haven't been going to the church. I didn't do anything wrong. I just kind of like backed out and kind of was like, you know, I need to take a step back from my mental health. And that's that's been a journey. I have worked with people uh, both in a clinical setting and have had some very close people in my lives um, leave the church. And I, for most of them, it's, it's the, I, I want to say, tra- biggest transformative moments in their life, but also some of the most traumatic, I think, you know, events in their life. And, you know, you yeah, go from- I can agree with that. Uh, being a part of probably this really tight knit community and, and really seeing the world probably one way. And then all of a sudden, you know, those people no longer, you know, will communicate with you. And you're also now trying to navigate the world sort of in a different way and sort of alone. But yeah. And I mean, I can attest to that for sure. Do they believe in therapy? Like, is there, I mean, it depends on who, like as a, as a doctrine, I don't think so, but individual people will go. One of the biggest things with me and my wife that made us just like connect in such an emotional and spiritual way was admitting to each other that we weren't really wanting to do it anymore. And it kind of happened because we had some friends who who left um, the organization and they wanted that they started having a conversation with about it and we started talking about it at their house and her and I just kind of like looked at each other and you know it was something we didn't want to admit because we were afraid the other one wasn't feeling that yeah, way. Right. Um, yeah. She was brave. definitely yeah. mentally out a lot sooner than I was mentally out. So it man, it really made us connect when we decided to leave. Now, in the process of leaving, you know, you I kind of I kind of cut everybody off because I was afraid of the judgment. 
that I was going to receive for not going to the Kingdom Hall anymore. And it actually wasn't until the last couple of months that I saw a bunch of family and they all, I mean, pretty much all of them gave me a super big hug and said, you know, we miss you. I mean, I had a couple people who were like, you know, oh, we miss you at the Kingdom Hall. And I just kind of ignore them. I had I had one of the elders in the congregation reach out to me several times and I just kind of ignored him and kind of let, you know, dead dogs lie because I just, just leave me alone. Just let me go. Right. <laughs> and I think that's something that really um, helped me in, in the journey is realizing that I can be who I want to be finally and not being who I'm told to be. And it's been, it's been great. Yeah. You know, it's, it's something, it's something I knew absolutely nothing about. And then I'll never forget. I had a, um, we were in grad school and somebody told their story of leaving and there were also four or five other XJWs in that room. And when she told that story, I mean, and there was only like 12 people in this class, you know, it was like remarkable to see all these hands go up. Um, you know, when she asked if anybody just knew anything about it, right. And all these people had, you know, had gone through this same journey and, and I could just see, I mean, there was this immediate sort of special connection, you know, around just that difficult journey of what, you know, they all went through and they almost didn't have to talk about it. They just kind of, you know, we're, I don't know, I had just this really deep understanding of one another without saying anything. It was just this really, um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's how it moment. is. Uh, and, and so then I got really, I had a really, really close friend and we, we had, we spent a lot of time working with one another and we, you know, we would talk for hours and just, and, and he went through the same thing. His family was, was up, you know, sort of in the, uh, I don't know, like the, the New York headquarters, like they oh, were. Oh yeah. Yeah. Know, Bethel. Yeah. Yeah. And so it was, um, yeah, it, it, I, I guess I'm just saying I, I had known nothing about any of this, you know, and then to, um, hear kind of what, you know, uh, what a tough journey it can be, you know, kind of leaving. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. Like and it's, <clears throat> it's definitely something that you have to undo in your brain. Yes. That's I mean, probably the biggest part. Mm -hmm. And there's still things, there's still things sure. I struggle with just because of, you know, different views I had when I was growing up and things I was taught. I had a different story than my wife had because my parents were very lenient, very like I was allowed to have friends outside of the congregation. I was able to go to school, sleep, you know, I was able to go to friends sleepovers, but you know, I never celebrated birthdays. I never celebrated holidays. Um, and I'm, I'm still that way. I mean, I'm not, I'm not celebrating anything because it's just not something that like my family doesn't have these traditions, so I've got nobody to like spend time with for these things, you know. It's not familiar, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh -huh. Uh -huh. You know, and and something that somebody like me just you know takes for granted, like oh yeah, it's, you know, it's it's Christmas, it's uh, Easter, it's yeah, yeah. I was raised in the Catholic Church, and that has its own. Um, <laughs> I and I had a lot of struggles with that as well. So um, yeah, I, I when you're there's like some markers kind of in Catholicism, like the first being baptism, second being uh, your first communion. Uh, and then the next big one is what's called your confirmation. And usually it happens, you know, when you're in like eighth grade or you're 13, 14 years old and it's you um, confirming sort of, they kind of look at you as sort of uh, an adult in a way, or at least a grown up who's old enough to make their own decisions and, and to confirm their belief, you know, sort of like now that you can, consciously make this decision that you want to follow Christ and Catholicism. Um, and, and so I went to Catholic school, uh, all K through 12. And in my eighth grade year, I, I declined my confirmation. I was, I think like the first person who had gone through the school and actually, you know, made this like declination and boy, I, mean, I bet that I wasn't looked looked upon very well. Fashion. No, no. And like <laughs> my poor mom was like in charge of the like the Catholic mom's uh, little organization there, and yeah, it was. So I know just kind of what that little blowback was, and that was nothing, you know, compared to I imagine, you know, the what you're going through or what you have gone through. <clears throat> no. Yeah, you know, it's. I was really worried about, you know, how my family would accept me and if they would accept me or if I would be, you know, shunned from family gatherings, but actually just 
maybe about a month and a half ago. Um, well, first of all, um, there was a point where my mom asked me, she goes, Oh, how are your meetings going? And I looked at my wife and I said, Oh my God, my mom just asked this question. And I looked at her and I said, I'm going to tell her because I need to live to my truest self. And my truest self isn't going to lie about this. So I texted my mom. I was like, you know, mom, um, I haven't been going to meetings for uh, probably, it was probably about a year and a half at that point. And what like, are I meetings gone, like there? So that's like the, the church gatherings. That's like, you're set to go, you know, now it's, it's two days a week. Sundays you go for two hours, um, you know, a weekday night you go for like an hour and a half and you cover all the different material and you have, you know, um, the, the Sunday one is like, there's a speaker that comes in. Sometimes it's a traveling speaker from a different congregation who will give a sermon on a topic. Um, and, and then Thursday night meetings or that was it for me Thursday night, but weekend weekday night meetings were for like teaching you how to go door to door and talk to people and teaching you how to, you know, if someone says no, how to counter counteract their no at the door. And, you know, that's what I grew up. That's why I'm so good with, I'm good with public speaking. I love speaking in front of people. It's because, you know, and I'm thankful for the lessons that I learned, but there's definitely some lessons that I need to unlearn. But I told her, I was like, mom, I'm not, I'm not going to meetings anymore. And, you know, the only thing that's changed about me, because I'm not doing anything different except for not attending the kingdom hall. And, you know, it was hard for her at first because most of my siblings are not doing it anymore either. And I was one of the last ones and it kind of hit her really hard. Like I have a, my next youngest brother is still doing it and is still very much involved in it. My parents are still very much involved in it. And my mom's family's all pretty much involved in it um, still. And my grandparents, like my grandparents on my dad's side are still very involved. Um, so my mom lives in Arizona. I live here in Washington and <laughs> there was a family gathering coming up. And so she was coming into town and I had a dinner with her and she thought it was going to be awkward. But the aunt and uncle's house who this gathering was at, um, I had them over um, beforehand, like probably like a week before this family gathering. And I had told them like, look, I'm not going to meetings anymore. And if you don't want me to come to your house, I won't come to your house. Um, but I want to leave that up to you because I respect you and I love you. And he goes, dude, if anyone has a problem with you, come talk to me because I don't care. I love you so much. And they came over for dinner and we had a great time and we talked about it and they said, you're still you and we still love you for doing what you do. And we appreciate you so much. And so it made it much more comfortable and made it, you know, when I got to the house, I just kind of went up to everybody and was just like, Hey, how's it going? You know, cause I'm the only, I'm like one of the only ones in the family with a beard. My hair's a little bit longer than everybody else is. So it was, you know, a different situation. I definitely stuck out, but it was very comfortable. Um, and that was just like within the last a month and a half that that happened. And I've actually been communicating now regularly with some of my aunts and uncles and my mom, my mom and I, she came for dinner to my house before the family gathering. And our relationship is, I mean, it's much better than it was for a little bit there when she found out I wasn't going. So I've been talking with her a lot, which has been really nice. Um, and I've had some really good conversations with my stepdad. Um, he actually sent me a really nice message and was like, he's like, I'm so happy that you are embracing yourself because it's so good to see you comfortable with who you are. And I'm so proud of you. So it's good. So there's a lot of things that just in the last little bit have really improved in my life because of being, being me and not really caring about, I don't care if you don't like it, I'm going to do it. I'm taking another note. Maybe a, an episode is how we create our identities. Um, yeah, especially uh, yeah. as men and, but like as men of faith, maybe as, uh, just as people and, you know, just what you're yeah. kind of going through with, um, yeah. and also kind of creating this identity that, you know, recreating your identity as I'm sure you are, but at the same yeah. time, sort of having these old beliefs, you know, still lingering and still tugging. And I think just a great example of how we can grow and change and, you know, be more accepting. Have you, as you're going through this, I, I imagine, you know, as a lot of uh, very religious institutions, I won't say you know, the religions themselves, but the institutions can be very judgmental. And, it, you know, that's often a, a key feature. And um, 
<laughs> but as you're coming out of it, you know, have you not only found more compassion for others, but in that, you know, kind of non-judgment found greater compassion for yourself? Oh, a hundred percent. You know, one of the things that, that helped me, you know, one of the things that I struggled with, I had, I had really bad body issues growing up and, you know, I would never like to look at myself in the mirror or take my shirt off in front of people. Um, but man, through this journey, I've learned to love myself. And like, even if my friends are over, I don't care. I'll walk around with my shirt off and they don't care. It doesn't make them. I was the only one who was uncomfortable with it and realizing that and realizing that I'm allowed to love myself for who I am really helped me kind of jump forward by leaps and bounds in my journey. Um, and it's, <laughs> it's definitely something that I would suggest for other people is to like, look at yourself and figure out who you need to be. And you're going to be so much happier than having to, you know, live by these strict rules that someone tells you, Oh, you're not allowed to love this person this way, or you're not allowed to, you know, do things this way. But in my heart, I have to believe that I'm doing and loving people that, you know, I'm definitely a very um, spiritual person. I'm a God fearing man. Um, you know, I believe that, you know, I would do what, what, you know, God, Jehovah is who I, you know, I still believe that's God's name, you know, what Jehovah and Jesus would do by loving these people, you know, Jesus ate with tax collectors, people who were looked down on by society. And that's, I'm not eating with people who I look down on, but I'm looking people, I'm eating with people who some of the people who I grew up with would be like, oh, I can't believe you had them in your house. So yeah, I mean, there's just things like that that I find that are a little bit harder for some things like that are harder for my brain to just like let go of, you know, especially when it comes to like, I don't know, holidays. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and also <clears throat> it's got to be difficult to, how do you all of a sudden create new traditions, you know, take, take on Christmas, right? Like, you right. Know, you've maybe never gone on Christmas tree. You've never exchanged presents. Where do you even begin? You know, like at least like my family's Christmas tradition has been going on longer than, you know, I've been here, you know, that yeah. we get together every Christmas Eve and, um, you know, there's just in the whole Hispanic, you know, uh, Mexican tradition of, you know, making tamales and enchiladas. And, um, Sounds like I have to come to your family gatherings. It, it's, it's good food. <laughs> it's some good Mexican food. That's for sure. <laughs> yep. Um, but yeah, anyways, I just, yeah, the ways we, you know, recreate our identity is, uh, it's, and it's a really powerful tool because, you know, a lot of times we're, when we're sort of, I don't think we get a lot of opportunities to recreate our identities. And I think our identities are also, um, you know, shaped and formed in relationships, you know, whether that's, you know, through family, friends, uh, you know, romantic ones. And, uh, you know, so when we do get that opportunity to sort of, you know, almost start fresh in a lot of ways, I don't know, it just brings a lot of things into question. And it also, you know, can shape, uh, you know, the rest of your life, you know, for the longest time I was in nightlife and that kind of started, you know, when I was almost like 13, 14 years old, I, you know, had just met a ton of people uh, at this, uh, the spot in Disneyland where we all used to hang out and, and maybe later I'll get into the story more, but for the longest time I was kind of defined by what I had did in nightlife, you know, whether that was like bartending, managing places, you know, VIP host in Vegas. And then all of that was sort of stripped from me. Um, you know, I, I had a whole bunch of issues with my health, my physical health. And I also didn't want to get back into nightlife, but then it was like, where do I turn? Like, who am I anymore? If I don't, you know, want to embrace this part of me any longer, which was so defined by what I had done and the amount of people I knew and, you know, who I hung out with and, you know, with some of these places that I worked, um, <clears throat> man, what a challenge. What, what a like absolute challenge. And that really kind of froze me for quite some time until, you know, I finally got some pushes in the right direction to embark on this journey out there of, you know, providing therapy, but yeah, I don't know. Recreating our identities is, uh, yeah. And I'm you sure know, it's been a, a journey for you. Yeah. Oh yeah. I can think of several times where I've recreated myself and, you know, tried to be a better person. 
The first time was when I moved from junior high to high school because um, I was a pretty shy kid in junior high just because I thought that's who I needed to be, right? I needed to not, you know, not make too many friends, not be too active in school events. Um, you know, I got bullied a lot in junior high and then I moved to a high school that didn't, that my junior high didn't feed into. Um, it was actually a rival school that I went to and I decided, I was like, you know what? I'm going to be more myself. I'm going to be more social. I'm going to be more who I am. Um, and I did, and I made tons of friends. I, my best friend, uh, one of my, one of my best friends to this day is a friend I made the first day of high school. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, mm-hmm. And then, um, Another, another one was when my, my was after Sean died, when my wife and I had our discussion that we wanted to back out of the religion therapy, you know, the first time you start coming to therapy and really like examining, you know, what, how am I, you know, operating or showing up in life? Um, yeah. And then these other big, you know, major uh, adjustments that we go through, um, no. Yeah. And it's, it's been great. It's been a wonderful journey. It's been, it's been something that I'm so proud of and I'm so happy to share, you know, most of it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm so thankful for the little community that I'm building, you know, in my life that loves me and supports me for exactly who I am and not with any other stipulations. I don't have to watch my back with them. I can just be a hundred percent who I want to be. And it's so freeing. It's so like eye-opening and wonderful. And I, I mean, I sleep great at night just knowing who I am. And I love my partner so much. And I can just show the world who I am. So you actually beat me to it. I was going to ask what is kind of the best part. You know, you, you kind of talked about maybe some of the hardest parts of, you know, sort of recreating this identity, but some of the best parts is this liberating stepping into uh, your like authentic self and getting so involved with something that's so meaningful, you know, with my, you know, suicide awareness event with the people I'm meeting with this podcast. I'm actually, I had something cool happen today. Um, Somebody from a mental health group in Washington, it's called mental health matters, Washington. They reached out to me and, and um, they asked me if I had anything about Father's Day. And I was like, no, I don't, but I can definitely put something out. So I, you know, got, I got, you know, a nice shirt on. I got my microphone and I just recorded a quick video and they reposted it. And so meeting people like that and, you know, finding people who I connect with on that level has been really, really great because, oh, <laughs> because I feel like I'm having more and more people who, who just appreciate me for who I am. And the cool people who I'm connecting with, it's funny because along the journey, if you're doing it right, you're going to find people who are kind of on the same journey as you, which is which has been really great because I'm finding people who are experiencing some of the th- same things I'm experiencing, who are living through some of the life things that I'm living through. Um, in August, I had my little brothers move in with me and it's been, and one of them moved out in January, but one of them I still have with me. And it's been great to watch him grow and change and, you know, grow into a man. It's kind of, it made me grow up and mature and figure out who I want to be so that I could be the best example I could for him. You can mentor to him. Yeah. Right. And show and tell him some of the lessons that I didn't learn till later in life because mental health was never something we talked about growing up. You know, talking about therapy was, oh, you know, only the crazy people go to therapy and it was always looked down on, but like, I will never feel that way again. And I will encourage every single person I can to seek therapy. It's so wonderful, regardless of, of the type, you know, there's different types of therapy and that, that I'm exploring right now that I really am really digging and enjoying. You know, and, and maybe more than anything else, I, I talked earlier about like the different forms and shapes and sizes and time, you know, durations that, that therapy can, can take and, and really like when it comes down to it, like when I'm doing my best work, you know, and I think when others are doing their best and, and when we have our best sessions, it's often when we're just connecting, you know, and we just get to connect with somebody. Um, and so often a lot of us don't have someone to connect with like that, you know, uh, and it sounds like you've been able to really make a lot of really um, deep connections uh, as you know, as this new sky is, is yeah. unfolding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny cause I, for a long time, I, I got a new phone number and, uh, 
you know, years and years ago. Um, and I saved myself in my phone as new sky. And I mean, it's, it's kind of funny cause I've like watched it happen. I watch myself change and I feel myself like looking back and reviewing and thinking about the past and thinking about how I would react to things then versus how I react to things now. Um, one of the really important things that I just thought about that really helped me was my therapist helped me identify my caveman brain. And she told me all about my cave, all about my caveman brain. And um, are you familiar with, you're familiar with it, I'm oh, sure. No, I'm not. No. Oh, okay. So you tell. our caveman brain puts us in fight or flight. So like rejection means there's not going to be people with you, which means the saber toothed tiger is going to come and attack you and kill you. So rejection equals death. Any negative emotion equals death, which is why people have these crazy reactions to, you know, someone telling them, oh, you know, I'm, I don't like you or, or, you know, rejection is, is the worst thing because it means you can't be with your tribe and you can't be with people. And the caveman brain tells you to act angry, even when it's not something that's supposed to make you angry. And that's one of the things I identified with because I used to deal with pretty severe anger issues. Um, as a kid growing up, I always identified with um, the Hulk is who I always like looked up to because like I could get angry at any point and I could, I could, you know, just go off and be angry for no reason, apparently, you know, no apparent reason. But um, <laughs> it was funny. I was talking to my brother and he knew that I was changing and that my wife was a good influence for me when she ch- corrected me on something. And instead of he was like, oh, Sky's going to flip out. You know, this isn't going to be good and I'm going to have to leave the room. He just saw me go, huh? Yeah, okay, you're right. And he knew that that's when my wife was the one for me, was a good oh, fit yeah. for me. Um, <laughs> but through therapy, I was able to, I like, I would have this thing happen whenever I let anybody down. It made me angry at myself and want to, and instead of like, I, I'm not somebody who's violent with, with other people. But when I would get set off like that, I would just go outside and, you know, punch trees or punch a fence post, something that would hurt myself or make my, you know, make my hands bleed just to punish myself. Um, and, you know, talking with my therapist, we decided to come up with a name for my caveman brain. And, you know, I, I shared that with my wife, which my caveman's brain, his name is Bruce. Okay. Um, like Bruce Banner. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Okay. You know, cause, because mm-hmm. I identified with the Hulk. So I was like, maybe I should just mm-hmm. name it Bruce and it'll be my other, my other personality. Right. But identifying it made me realize that, that my reactions to things were because my brain was telling me that it was a negative thing. And I had to learn that it was okay to accept these negative emotions and process them without reacting. And that's actually something that came up in my, in my journey was I, (laughs) I don't really feel that anger anymore. And the volume on my caveman brain is way down. Like pretty rarely do I get any sense of anger, which is, which is really great. And that's something I really appreciate about, you know, the journey because I always identified as the angry guy. I'm, you know, the angry guy that'll go off at any, any moment, but I realized I don't have to identify myself that way. I don't have to feel that way. And it's been, I mean, it's been great to not be an angry person. Most people just think I'm a chill laid back person. Something that really made me want to aim towards that was I went to a friend's, um, his dad's funeral. And something that the kids said was that our dad never raised his voice. And I was like, you know what? I would like my kids to say that one day is I never raised my voice and that I was always calm. And I mean, when I first started being mindful, uh, I was in a grocery store and this guy was like, hey, you want a sample? And I was like, oh, yeah, sure. I would love to try it. And he goes, whoa, I expected a much bigger voice to come out of you. <laughs> so, I mean, growing up with six kids, you learn to be loud. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I started I started quieting down and starting, started using like a room-appropriate voice, which was really good. And wow. that was thankful to my mental health journey. What a, what a remarkable transformation just all around, you know, and, and how encouraging to others to show like, you know, you don't have to, um, follow our old patterns and that we can change and, you know, we can show up better for everyone around us. Right. Like just, to um, yeah, I, I was taught 
rage, you know, from my father and anger and stonewalling and, um, you know, he, nobody held a grudge better than him. Um, and you know, man, I've worked, you know, a lot of my life to like rid myself of that, you know, kind of part of me. So, um, kudos to you to, it's, uh, yeah, it's tough. So to kudos to you too. Yeah. yeah, it is. It's tough to like, to, uh, I don't know, forgive me, like unfuck our brains from, yeah. you know, yeah, no, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. Uh, I mean, it's so but, important to look at ourselves. Just like you said, cause it's, it's, you know, I love that the caveman brain it is because we equate, you know, or, you know, maybe like our fathers did or like we do, you know, growing up that like, these little rejections, which, you know, definitely hurt. Right. But, but we, like you said, equate those to, you know, catastrophe a lot of times and therefore react to them as you know, major catastrophes, as um, life threatening you know, attacks when, you know, when sometimes it's just like, well, you just spilled the milk. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to be yeah. all right. Yeah. <laughs> Mm-hmm. my wife used to call me the bull in a china shop and like mm-hmm. i would break things all the time just because i was doing it fast and yeah. hurried and not thinking about my actions mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so yeah mm-hmm. i totally identify with that <laughs> <laughs> awesome brains are uh, weird aren't they uh, oh man well just all of it brains heart emotions thoughts feelings yeah um, and I kind of believe like it's really not until we become pretty mindful that we have any sort of control really in our lives. You know, I'll, I don't really kind of believe in free will. I do and I don't. And, you know, maybe one day we'll go down that rabbit hole of like because it, it gives me a ton of compassion uh, for clients and others to to kind of look at everything through this like chain of events. Um but, you know, when we get mindful, a lot of times then we, we can sort of like take a look at, you know, why we're doing some of these things we're doing uh, instead of just, you know, just being dictated by our thoughts, feelings and emotions and just, you know, but yeah, but then it's the brain inside and, and it's crazy how, you know, like traumatic brain injuries can alter our personalities or, you know, or set us into a different directions. So, yeah. Yeah. You were telling me about this guy, um, who in our, in the first time we talked, you told me about this guy who had this really crazy, like traumatic brain injury happen. And after that, he became a much more serious person. Yeah. It's, uh, the classic case is this guy, Phineas Gage, who I yes. think had like a spear, I think go through his head. Yep, that's what you were talking correctly. about. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I, it's been a long time since I heard the story, but yeah, he was, yeah, I guess a very jovial jokester and, you know, overnight, well, you know, after that injury, his, his entire personality shifted. Um, and, you know, and I've seen this a couple of times in my own life, you know, and, and seen some examples of people who's uh, had some, you know, serious TBIs and, and really altered their personalities. And so, yeah, yeah, brains are, you know, they're fragile and they're, and, and yet we know so little about them as well. We still have no idea where consciousness lies, you know, like what really consciousness is. And, yeah, because our brain yeah. is just like a big yeah. lab of fat and meat, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. 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 With electrical signals and cells and, yeah, interesting matter. And, and yet, really, like, you know, as much hard work as scientists have done, you know, scientists, surgeons, medical field, et cetera, psychologists, you know, we don't know where, like, what really makes us conscious yeah, and where it really sits with us. So, yeah. And I love reading some of these studies that they're doing right now with the brain and, and different types of medications that traditionally were used for something else, but they're realizing that they have these crazy mental health benefits. I was reading about this, this thing they're doing with DMT and I'm not, I was never really like super familiar with DMT, but they're doing this thing where actually I heard um, Joe Rogan talking about it, where they're doing these like um, several hour drips of DMT at like a certain amount into people. And these people are like, going into these alternate worlds and they're going to the same place each time. And like, there are people who are like mapping out this alternate brain dimension that they have. You like it's have just send me this episode. Cause I haven't oh, heard yeah. of this and this. There's, it's, it's, it's crazy. <laughs> oh. And like, I know they're doing a lot of things with ketamine therapy. I know they're doing a lot of things with like psychedelic mushroom therapy. And I think it's, 
I think it's great to explore what works for you. Yeah. And, and I think we're embarking. I, I, I'm not as optimistic and maybe we'll do another episode about that, like of the psychedelic assisted therapy world. And just from a, how a logistical, yeah, just a logistical perspective. I don't know if it's, I wish it would become, you know, accessible for everyone to have, you know, a great psychedelic assisted therapy, you know, experience. Um, but I have a bad feeling the pharmaceutical industries are going to get involved. And it's definitely looked down upon because some of these things they can't, I mean, they can't make money off of. That's why they're, that's why they're illegal, right? Like the things that grow from the earth, like, you know, ayahuasca and mushrooms and, and marijuana, they're so looked down on by society because it's, because that's what the, that's what we've been told, right? That's what like the government told us. These things are bad, but you know, I got to think they're on the earth for some reason, right? Like, you know, I'm a God, I'm a God fearing person. God did everything perfect. Why would he put something on this earth that we're not supposed to have? No. <laughs> and I, I think there's some research that, that shows, you know, when we really evolved as humans was sort of like our, um, running into psychoactive psilocybin and, and people, they, you know, there's, there's some interesting why does our uh, body have receptors for these things too right right for infertility yeah no so Um, yeah there's so many things there's so many things that we can talk about and so many things i'm excited about with this well thanks guys for joining us on this inaugural episode of this season with ryan and i we're so excited to be here together um make sure to visit our website heymanitsok.com ryan's info will be up very soon um if it's not already up um, check out our TikTok, our Instagram, Hey Man, It's Okay everywhere. Um, remember, it's just okay, not O-K-A-Y. So heymanitsokay.com. Um, and thanks for tuning into our podcast. It's been great. Thank you, guys. Uh, please comment, subscribe, like, share us, tell a friend. We appreciate you. <laughs>